Ion 2020 episode 81. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. Hey everybody, it's Ray Eaton, your host of Eye on 2020, that place that you come to daily, Monday through Friday, for the news and events that you need to hear uh, as we lead up to the 2020 elections in November 2020. All these candidates that are going to be running against Donald Trump on the Libertarian ticket, Green Party ticket, and obviously the Democratic ticket, because we do live in a two-party duopoly, as you guys know. Uh, you know, the two parties pretty much run everything in this country. They have a monopoly on the uh, the use of force that our government has. They are the ones that decide, you know, the direction of this country and so forth. And everybody pretty much feels like they are forced to follow suit and vote for their particular candidate on, you know, the, the, the lesser of two evils on the right or the left, on the Democratic side or on the Republican side. That's about... Uh, that's about the extent of the way that this country's political political system is run. There's a few, you know, there's a few third parties that try to get their names in the hat. You got the Libertarians and the Green Party that are seem like they're the two largest party. Libertarians are the ones that pretty much believe hands off a of government in most cases. Obviously, you know, they they sometimes will choose a candidate that might not be the most libertarian you'd say, but they sometimes do get some very libertarian candidates like Harry Brown and uh, Ron Paul actually ran as a libertarian back in 1988 as well. So, uh, you know, sometimes they come through. And then you got the Greens, and they typically are the people that are further left, more socialist-leaning, and very concerned about the environment, of course. And those are the people that, you know, those are the two main third parties, and you have a few other ones that get out there as well. But uh, yeah, that's what we live in is that two-party duopoly. And, you know, that's what I'm talking about today, though, is all of the, you know, every day I'm bringing you guys the news and the events that are going on with the 2020 election. And, uh, you know, if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to it. I really would appreciate that. Uh, that'll let you hear the show tomorrow. And then you'll be able to hear the show, you know, going forward as we move closer to the 2020 elections. Things will start getting exciting here soon, I'm sure, coming into the summer. Uh, it's almost May now, and I think it starts in July. You're going to start having these candidates having different town hall events. You're going to have lots of debates and things like that on the Democratic side. I don't know that there's going to be Demo or excuse me. I don't know that there's going to be a Republican debate going on. I know William Weld has jumped into the fray against Donald Trump, but I don't think that the Republicans are planning on having any type of debates or anything like that with their candidates. I don't think there's going to be a true person that would run against Donald Trump that's going to get very far. The Republicans seem like they're behind him. I mean, his base is very strong right now. They are not uh, looking to look... They're not looking for another person to run against Donald Trump. 
there are a few. I mean, I think I think Trump has like an 80% approval rating among Republicans, and they want him to be re-elected, pretty much. Now, there could be something that happens over the next several months, or even over the next year or so, where Donald Trump gets screwed up, that things uh, start turning against him, that the, the, you know, this Mueller investigation, things like that, could come out where he's obstructed justice. They, a lot of people say, though, if the Congress decides to go towards impeachment, you're going to be looking at it being beneficial to Donald Trump. And the reason why is because his base will dig in. They'll dig their heels in, and they will you know, become even more dedicated to this guy, which is probably true. That's how it is whenever there's adversarial uh, you know, headwinds on any candidate is the base really does dig in, and that'll happen with Donald Trump as well. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew about this, but back on Monday, there was a town hall. They call it a marathon town hall. I think there was four or five people that had town halls on CNN, and that's what I wanted to talk to you guys about today. So I found an article on Vox, and what it says is that uh, three winners and three losers from CNN's Marathon Democratic Presidential Town Hall. So first it starts off, CNN's five-hour Democratic 2020 Town Hall Marathon featuring hour-long question-and-answer sessions with five candidates was a long night and a telling one. So I actually watched maybe about two hours of it, a little less than that, I think, and yeah, it was a long night. I mean, it was just... I couldn't imagine sitting in that audience for five hours. Like, I think they had the same people ask the same questions to every single candidate. That's what it seemed like to me, because a lot of these people... Now, they framed it different. They structured their their questions different. But, like, you know, they, they had the black girl ask about reparations, things like that. They had, uh, you know, the conservative kid ask about, you know, how, how they're going to fix the economy or something. You know, like just basic questions, but it seemed to me that a lot of the questions were scripted. A lot of the questions seemed like they were coming from CNN itself. Maybe they helped the person write the question. Maybe they gave them a list of questions that they can ask the candidates, and these people chose which one that they liked the best. You know, but they were all things that had to do with the news that I guarantee you college students don't care about. Uh, well, some of them might. Who knows? Uh, what I did notice is that about every person in that audience seemed like they were a poli-sci major or a government major or something like that. So they might have some interest in government. And correct me if I'm wrong, but what do you do with a poli-sci, you know, a political science degree? What do you do with a government degree except for maybe, if you're a government degree, maybe you teach the government in high school. You teach social studies in middle school, elementary school, or whatever. I don't know. Um, political science degree... I guess you get get a job in government or something. I'm not sure. Uh, I went to college for marketing, and there's a, there's a specific thing that you do in marketing. You sell, or you you know get into a marketing company or advertising or whatever. Um, but I just wonder with political science, uh, what do you do with that type of degree? I'm not sure. Uh, I I don't think I ran into a lot of political science majors when I was in high school, or excuse me, when I was in college. But anyhow, um, there was so many of them. Every person that ask questions. One of the guys was a molecular biology major or something like that, or a, you know, I can't remember exactly what it was. Oh, a physics major, that was it. He was a physics major, and uh, I think Elizabeth Warren says, well, don't ask me anything about that. 
I can't answer that question type thing, you know, just kind of boosting the kids' confidence up. But it was very rare to see anything outside of the political science majors on this thing. But anyway, so they had Amy Klobuchar, they had Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, uh, and Pete Buttigieg. They all had an hour to hours worth of questions from college students, and it was filmed over in New Hampshire, up in New Hampshire. And New Hampshire seems to be a little bit less conservative than, you know, your southern states and stuff like that, but they still are a swing state, and they're also the second state, that, or the first state that's going to have a primary, the second state that goes on the main stage, though, after Iowa. I think it's like a couple of days after Iowa is usually the New Hampshire, uh, the New Hampshire election. Uh, so anyway, moving forward, it's hard to say if any ca- candidate came out clear winner or what that might even mean with so many months before a single primary vote was cast. But the five town halls taken together revealed some bigger truths about the Democratic Party as a whole and some flaws in the broader conversations about candidates and policy in the campaign so far. So then it says, What follows is a kind of guide to the night focused on big themes and revealing responses rather than individual performances. Who or what came out ahead and who or what fell behind. Now this is Vox. I think they're going to lead lean a little bit more liberal, or quite a bit more liberal, uh, so they're going to have, they're going to base it upon what they feel were the winners. Now, I'm going to take this from a libertarian critique, though, of the way that Vox is framing this thing, because I just want to make sure that, you know, we follow the structure of this show, which is, I am a libertarian, I'm going to take everything from the libertarian, uh, libertarian point of view, and even though Vox is saying it, they're a political, or they're, they're a, news media or a media outlet so they're going to have their spin on things as well and they're also going to have their opinion on things so let me go ahead and hop into the first thing that says that they that that was a winner though the progressive movement was the number one winner in that night so you have five candidates up there and all of them are talking about major progressive issues i mean obviously bernie sanders is the leader of the progressive movement right right now he's the one that has the ideas that were espoused in 2015 and 2016. He's the one that almost beat Hillary Clinton, and disputably he may have beat Hillary Clinton if the Democratic Party did not fight him on that, right? And he was saying, talking about democratic socialism, he was talking about a new way to bring socialism to the world. You know, he talks about the Soviet Union as a as a dictatorship-type socialism, right? That's what I forget the exact words that he used to describe it, but oh, a totalitarian socialist state is what he called it, right? And he says, I do not espouse what an, a totalitarian socialist state believes in. I go with democratic socialism. But if you look at the USSR, they called themselves a democratic state, they did. Uh, I mean, even they call themselves republics, the Union of Socialists. You know, I I can't even think of the exact the way, words uh, off the top of my head. USSR. He talks about the United the U, the USSR not being a democratic country or a democratic socialist country. He talks about being a totalitarian totalitarian country, but. Uh, United Socialist Soviet Republics, I mean, they, they consider themselves a republic. So does the, 
you know, so does North Korea consider itself a republic. I believe even China considers itself a republic. Even the and they and they even had a constitution that protected free speech and things like that. If you look at the Soviet constitution, you know, there's there's lots of democratic statements in there. So when Bernie Sanders says that, well, the ultimate dream that these Russians had, that the, the you know that Lenin had, that Stalin had, was that ultimately they they would institute a communist state that ultimately would go away and they would just be com- a worldwide communist movement where there is no state that that's the ultimate goal of every communist but the belief was is that somehow you had to force it on the people and rid the people of the you know the wealthy class and the, the, the classes beyond the workers you had to rid the world of those people and get rid of them and then the state would be used to sort of brainwash the people into believing themselves as communists and so forth. And if you look at a lot of books of you know, that people wrote about the communist state, I've read several that are, you know, fictional books that kind of depict how people thought in the communist state. Like, they believe themselves communists. They believe that by limiting their consumption, by limiting their desires and their needs, by being one of those people that is going to be for the people rather than for the individual, they believe themselves to be better communists, and those are things that are taught in school. But to say that they were a totalitarian socialist government, that's true, but when you're looking into the idea of a democratic socialist movement, ultimately, when the people have the ability to vote themselves more power they're going to, and ultimately, the government's going to have to take over. It's just the way that the system, it's just the way that the communist system works is ultimately leads to a totalitarian power where you can't have democracy within that because if democracy says that everyone's going to have their own political views and winner takes all, essentially, whoever has 51% of the votes takes all and then we're going to force our will upon you. And then you have some sort of constitution that says what the state can and can't do. But we all know that people trample upon the state, you know, the constitution that states decide upon, right? The Soviet constitution protected free speech, but we all know there was no free speech within that country. The, the, the government controlled the newspaper. And if you want to start your own newspaper, the government would say, no, we're not going to give you a printing press. So when the, when the government's in control of the means of production, then you won't be able to produce unless the government allows you to, right? Those are just, I mean, those are just things within the Soviet system, but they had free speech, but it wasn't really protected by the government. They had the, you know, they, they were guaranteed food, they were guaranteed jobs, they were guaranteed health care and things like that. But when the system broke down, those people had nothing, absolutely nothing. People starved to death in that country. And when Stalin tried to force his will upon Ukraine, he starved millions upon millions of people in order to get his way. And that was okay in the Soviet system because it was the it was for the good of everybody. That's what they said. That's how they rationalized it. And so when Bernie Sanders talks about that stuff, it, I mean, it just blows my mind that people go along with it. But uh, that was one of the questions that was asked: is you know, are you okay with Soviet Russia? And he said, you know, no, he's not okay with a totalitarian socialist government. But I believe in democratic socialism, and it's different. And I just don't think that it's different. But anyway, so Vox, they say, a winner, the progressive movement.
Sanders likes to point out that the ideas that were called too extreme and radical in 2016, presidential election, like free college, Medicare for all, and serious economic reform are now in the mainstream. That was fully evident Monday night and then some. The questions themselves and the candidates' answers answers made clear that whichever candidate Democrats chose will end up running on a much bolder and more progressive agenda on both economic and social issues than seemed possible even four years ago. And it's absolutely true. Bernie Sanders has brought these things to the mainstream. He's gotten a huge movement of young people as well as older people that are willing to go along with those views, that they feel like the government should provide health care, that they feel like the government should provide free college education. You know, these bold things in 2016 are now mainstream today. And uh, it is a win for the progressive movement in that sense that every person on that stage was willing to say that they're for reparations, that they're for um, free college education, that they're for Medicare for all and things like that. They ultimately want a single-payer healthcare system, and that's where, um, that's the Sanders movement, and everyone's pretty much in lockstep on that, which blows my mind, but uh, I'm a libertarian, and I don't really go for the idea that the government is going to be my savior, uh, that the government is going to protect me, and everything like that. I just, I won't go along with that. I won't, I, I don't believe in trading security for liberty. Or liberty for security, I mean. Let me change that. Okay, the first loser in this debate was Hillary Clinton. I'm not sure why they're saying that. Uh, So let me read further. Hillary Clinton may have faded somewhat from the public eye. Her failed 2016 campaign has not, rather than a touchstone for a new crop of female candidates, it's become a byword for the fate that they hope to avoid. So a lot of the female candidates are saying that they're not going to become a, you know, it's not going to be a Hillary Clinton 2.0 now, that they're going to win, that they're not going to take that middle ground, and so forth. Warren was direct, so moving forth, Warren was asked directly twice about how she would combat the kind of sexism Clinton faced in 2016. One student question, one student question was matter of fact. Some people have voiced you getting Hillaryed in the election. So what lessons have you learned from 2016 that will help you to kind of navigate these situations when you might be criticized for something that's partially motivated by a sexist. Another question, or another question asked by of Warren, how she would measure up to Trump's bullying. In particular, you are, are you afraid he can caricature, caricature you? Uh, then she's, I mean, so that's Warren, and there's you know Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar. Those are all three women as well. They need to seem strong in front of in front of Donald Trump. So I think that is just a little bit of feeling on the electorate that are Democrats. I think that's just them feeling like, hey, maybe Donald Trump is just a bully, that he's going to be sexist, that he's going to you know bring those things up and so forth. Uh, so yeah, the term Hillaryed was brought up several times. It says, and so apparently she was the loser because. And, you know, she lost the 2016 election handedly to Donald Trump. Uh, everyone thought she was going to win. She thought she was going to win. She did not even show up uh, to her big rally, that she, the, her rally that she was going to have to declare that she won the won the election. She didn't even show up to that. She didn't even come out and talk to her followers. So 
obviously a sore loser, and nobody wants to go down that road again on the Democratic ticket. They want someone that's going to beat Donald Trump, though. So the winner, Harvard, one of the wild, the weirdest features of the event was that so many of the students asking questions were undergraduates of Harvard University, perhaps the most visible symbol of the American elite there is. There was a clear and obvious explanation. Harvard Institute of Politics co-sponsored the event, so Harvard students got to go, got to ask a lot of questions, but that didn't make it feel any less strange. That must be why there was so many students there that were political science majors, because Harvard Institute of Politics is the one that sponsored the event. So that makes sense why there was just so many political science majors there. Uh, the candidates vying for the leadership of America's center-left party, debating a host of populist policies ranging from Medicare for All to the Green New Deal to reparations for slavery, were questioned by undergrads at the school at a school where the average student's family makes about three times the national average. So these are kids that don't understand the way the world works in the first place. If they're, you know, that three times the national. So these the families make over one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, right? And uh, wh- actually more than that, because I think the average family makes $75,000 a year or something like that. So you have people that are in the $250,000 bracket, and uh, these kids really don't understand what suffering is. All they know is what they see on TV. All they really know is what they're told. Um, they're not out there, you know, dealing with it. But they're going to look down upon those people as if they're like just, you know, people that need help and things like that. And that's what drives me crazy about politicians is that they just think everyone needs help when in reality most people just think hey leave me alone man leave me alone you know there but there are people that become dependent upon the system and that that just drives me crazy as well um because then they start trying to game the system and so forth so uh next loser is pretty much the entire rest of the world i wonder why they say that candidates candidates faced a total of three questions about foreign policy and global politics on monday night one was about israel one was about U.S. relations with countries that ex- execute LBGTQ citizens, and a third dealt with U.S. reparations for cyber war. Wow. Those are the only... So the one about um, Israel was asked to Bernie Sanders. I know that. So three, literally three questions about foreign policy. All that shows to me, guys, all that shows me at all is that young people do not give a crap about foreign policy. All they care about is handouts to themselves. That's all they care about because there was so many questions about college tuition. There was so many questions about Medicare for all. There was so many questions about all that stuff. But there was three questions about about foreign policy that blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. They were so they go on. These were important questions to be sure, but they were only three questions which covered the rest of the planet during a five-hour event. So Vox is getting this right on point. And, and one of them was about people, that, they, countries that execute LGBTQ citizens. Obviously that's important, but not as important as our drones bombing church services and crap, you know? Like, come on, man. But So then it goes on, nothing about the rising influence of China globally, nothing about the coherence of the NATO alliance in the face of Trump's attacks from within and Putin's assurance or pressure from without. Nothing on the ongoing crisis in Venezuela, the wave of radical right parties sweeping Europe, or any of America's several ongoing military conflicts in places like Afghanistan and Yemen. That is true. These kids 
could care less about that. And that all that tells me is how protected these kids are from the real world, right? That they don't care anything about about anything about other people outside the United States. All they care about is themselves. They don't care about the bombs that are being dropped across the world. They don't care about starving children in Yemen. They don't care. They just don't care. And that makes me sick. Absolutely makes me sick. So anyway, moving on, because I, I, I really want to read the rest of this whole this whole part, because that's, I mean, the Vox is point on with this. These are huge issues affecting millions of lives, and in some cases the very foundations of global peace, yet CNN chose not to elevate any students who would ask about any of it. To discuss Yemen, Sanders had to bring it up unprompted. It just felt like the rest of the world didn't exist. That's true. So, yeah, it actually might be, they said it, it might be CNN that they didn't, I, I guarantee you that somehow every student in that room had a question that they were wanting to ask, and they must have submitted it to the producers, and then the producers are the ones that picked those questions. So that's true. Uh, it might not be the students. I, I can't maybe, maybe I can't just blame the students. Maybe I can just blame the fact that each candidate only gets, you know, 10, 12 questions or something. So they chose the 10 or 12 questions. The producers chose the 10 or 12 questions that they that they wanted to hear, pretty much. So anyway, winner, student de- debtors. One of the few questions that every candidate had to address on Monday was that was what they'd do about student debt. Not just the f- for future generations of college students, but for those who already have student debt. Most Democratic proposals in the past to deal with student debt focus on tweaks to make life slightly better for people with debt, such as refinancing or adjusting interest rates. The more recent and more ambitious proposals of college affordability, such as free and debt-free college, would help only future students, but those who, but not those who'd already borrowed. Any kind of widespread forgiveness for existing debtors who hadn't entered public service or paid decades of interest already seemed far-fetched, and then suddenly it didn't. So yeah, every every candidate is for forgiving all debt and then obviously making college tuition free, um, which that's just something that's just unsustainable, man. And you're going to have everybody going to college for political science. Bada bing, bada bang, you know? Or uh, not to not to say negative things about political science degrees, I apologize. But yeah, you're going to have, okay, you're going to have lots of under, underwater basket weaving uh, majors and things like that. Majors that don't even really matter, you know? Um, anyway, so, any, so moving forward, so that's the winner of student debt. Loser, Tom Steyer in the campaign to impeach Donald Trump. Bad news for billionaire Democrat activist Tom Steyer and his group Need to Impeach, a political organization that has dedicated the last two years to lobbying Congress to impeach Trump. Monday's town hall reinforced what has been growing narrative at Capitol Hill. Democrats can't agree on impeachment. Okay, that's true. So that those are the winners and those are the losers of this particular uh, particular town hall. I think a major loser is the American people also because the people in America are going to be taxed to death if these Democrats get their way. I mean, it's, crap, if the Republicans get their way, it's the same thing, man. Um, it's just going to be more and more taxes, more and more. Oh, the Constitution was a clear loser in that debate as well because all these things that they're proposing are completely unconstitutional things that the government has no right to do but you know in the in the 
in the world that we live in, the Constitution has been shredded anyway. Um, it's a document right now that is literally on its last leg. I mean, Democrats don't talk about it whatsoever. Republicans only give it lip service. And, um, you know, the, the government overstuffed its balance from the very, very beginning. And that's the, that's the world that we live in. So clear, lo- clear, clear loser of that town hall as well is, uh, is the Constitution. Now, moving forward, I wonder what CNN's going to do. I'm going to look into this, and I'll let you guys know. Uh, is CNN going to bring on five more candidates for another marathon? Are they going to bring on all 20? Are they going to bring on a Tulsi Gabbard? I think they'd be scared to bring on a Tulsi Gabbard because then they would be forced to have questions about foreign policy. And uh, that would be a good thing, though. So are they going to do that? Who knows? I'll let you guys know if I hear about it, though. But anyway, I appreciate you coming out. Go ahead, subscribe to the show, and then uh, give me a five-star rating in review if you can as well. That would be great. The main thing, I'd like to love to see more of these five-star ratings, so that would be phenomenal. And uh, follow me on my Twitter handle, IonTheEmpire. I'm also IonTheEmpire.com. And you can see, see the Facebook page that I have, which if you search, you guessed it, IonTheEmpire, uh, you'll be able to find me there as well. Uh, But I appreciate you listening. First-time listeners, come back tomorrow, and you'll have clear vision for 2020.